Better Call Saul, Season 5, Episode 9. Bad Choice Road is over, but we're just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. Hello again, everyone. I am Antonio Mazzaro, and I'm joined on this Good Choice Road by my friend, Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Antonio, uh, tell me that again. Tell, just, just tell like, me all of that again. We're on, uh, well, somewhere on this road. Um, it's a road of good choices. Uh, car died on the road, and I just, uh, here I am. Just one more time would be great if you could just tell me like all of that just one more time. I just want so, to hear. So you know I was going along the road. Uh, it's a bad, it's a good choice road. Uh, there's a lot of good choices along there. I made good choices. Uh, my car broke down. I you got made good choices. And why are there bullet holes in this podcast? Oh uh, well, I don't. <laughs> we we definitely need to talk about uh, Jimmy McGill versus uh, this is the Wexler versus McGill. That scene at the end, uh, so tense, so tense. I think I've finally unclenched here a couple days later and I'm not even going to say what I was clenching because it's bad I'm in a lot of pain I'm in a lot of pain <laughs> yeah. a lot of pain uh, episodic keggles um, no this Yikes. is uh, this is very difficult this episode the end of it very difficult uh, but we've been saying it's difficult for a while at what point Josh I, I, I want to ask you this right up from the jump at what point do we say you know what Kim Wexler has made her own choices. She's in the game now, and she knows what what she's doing and why. She's made her own choices. It's time to stop being nervous for Kim Wexler like she's some damsel in distress and start saying, Kim gets what she gets. This is her choice at this point. I mean, that could, that, that could be true simultaneously with I don't want anything bad to happen to Kim Wexler, like in the same way that Jesse Pinkman uh, made bad choices and got in really deep. Uh, and you know he killed Gail Bedecker. He made that choice. Spoiler alert! That's uh, Breaking Bad. We talk about Breaking Bad here. I'm not going to tolerate the spoiler <laughs> alert on Breaking Bad. Uh, it's it's fair game. All that happened already. Why are you watching Better Call Saul without the Breaking Bad knowledge? He killed he killed Gail. Shot yep. him in the face. Yeah. Uh, and like I still didn't want him to spend a year in Nazi torture. I still didn't want to watch him watch uh, Andrea get shot in the head. I still didn't want to see, uh, uh, you know, all of the terrible things that were happening uh, in his life. Uh, And I don't want any of that to happen to Kim, even if maybe Kim should be heeding some of the uh, the wisdom from some of the other people around her. Uh, Some of the people who maybe are sensing that Jimmy is is no good uh, and maybe she is sensing it a little uh, less easier than than she should be. I think she knows, though. I mean, I think the, the sense is definitely there. I, we have to talk about Kim Wexler in the context of the choices that she makes. For sure, she loves a lost cause. Kim Wexler, she loves a lost cause. Uh, she she will pursue a lost cause at her own expense, pro bono, by the way. This is something that she will put her stake in. So it is uh, no surprise that, and we've talked it at length on this podcast, that she would be interested in Jimmy McGill the way that she is, uh, be there for him as a partner the way that she is. When she tells Lalo in this incredible scene uh, at the end of the episode here that, by the way, he didn't lie to you. He doesn't lie to anybody. He doesn't lie to his clients. She knows that's a lie. Jimmy knows that's a lie. But Lalo knows that's a lie, too. Lalo has just seen Jimmy do the whole dog and pony show for a judge, by the way, (laughs) about Lalo's fake family. So Lalo knows that McGill is a liar. And what he knows when he hears that out of Kim 
Kim's mouth is that Kim is a liar as well. Uh, so Kim knows that everybody in the room knows that, that Jimmy McGill is a liar. Uh, that Saul Goodman is a liar. Uh, no matter that Kim says the name and actually d- d- says he's Saul Goodman, she knows the truth about what's going on there. So I just, her eyes are pretty wide open. I don't think at this point anyone's pulling the wool over her eyes about, you know, I don't think when Jimmy comes home out of the desert alive and she finds a coffee mug with bullet holes in it and she gives him the opportunity to come clean and even says, I don't need you to. And then he tells her a half truth. She knows. She knows who she's in. She's literally in bed with. I don't, at this point, I don't feel like any wool is being pulled over her eyes. She's starting to pull the wool herself. Yeah, but do you think that that equation changes by the end of this episode? You know, this is, uh, as I uh, very clickbaitingly, but also uh, accurately uh, put in the headline for my interview with Tony Dalton, who plays Lalo, that Better Call Saul just had its very own I'm the one who knocks moment. Uh, That it's not just Heisenberg who has the monopoly on being the big bad boogeyman. Here comes Lalo, the monster in the house, as Tony Dalton described it to me uh, in his in his interview with me, uh, where he's talking about how this is like temple. You know, this is a sacred space. It's Kim and Jimmy's apartment. They've had fights here, but they also eat ice cream and watch Westerns and Atticus Finch is, you know, going to trial and all sorts of stuff that's, you know, very much their lives and very just closely connected to just what they've got going on. And now a cartel man is in the room and he is like here, like seemingly ready to like rip Jimmy's face off. If, if he doesn't like what, what he's selling, like you feel the danger in this moment. You talked about the clenching Antonio. I did. Uh, I, you did. It will yeah. never forget that you discussed the clenching. Uh, I couldn't watch the scene. Uh, I had to listen to it. I was listening to the scene, uh, knowing that Mike is across the way with the sniper rifle, knowing that Kim keeps walking into the into the the shot, knowing that Kim is not on Breaking Bad for whatever reason that is, and constantly afraid that this character who, even if she's making horrible choices, is somebody who I love dearly in terms of my like fictional family, my fictional character family. I love Kim Wexler and want to see no harm uh, happen to her. Uh, and it's largely thanks to Ray Seahorn's fantastic performance in the writing of her. Uh, and it was one of the worst things that I had to sit through on television in quite a while. Uh, and I've watched the news recently, uh, so it was it was it was a <laughs> just lot. recently. And I I I had to look away. I had like my headphones on, so I was literally like staring at the ground. Uh, and Emily was in the room with me. She's like, "What are you doing? What is wrong with you?" I'm like, "I can't talk. Do not talk to me right now. Things are happening." Pretty sure someone who I care about is about to die. She's like, what? I was like, it's a TV show. It's going to be fine. Uh, And that was the feeling that I had. And by the end of it, after she gives the performance of her life and convinces Lalo to leave, and Lalo does leave, that look that's exchanged between her and Jimmy, is that not a look of recognition of, okay, too far, too far. Uh, I'm getting off of Bad Choice Road. Exit's here. I know it's a little late, uh, but the the best time to leave was yesterday. Second best time is right now. Uh, possibly. I, the the thing about it is, in that moment, what it felt like to me is that Lalo, the monster in the house, was very slowly chipping away at what precious little sanity Saul Goodman, a.k.a. Jimmy McGill, had. Uh, when we saw the scene earlier in the episode, Jimmy McGill is having very serious issues with PTSD, with the problems he's experienced from uh, his time in the desert. He talks to Mike, certainly not the best therapist about this problem, uh, although Mike is able to regurgitate 
regurgitate some wisdom that he heard at one of the support group meetings that he goes to with Stacy. Um, Mike does not, he's not the most sympathetic ear. Let's just say this. Jimmy says what? Like there's billions of people on the planet earth and I had to be stuck to you as the only person I can talk about with this. Uh, so Jimmy has certainly suffered this episode. Uh, and when Lalo is applying the pressure, it seems like each time that Jimmy starts to tell the story, he tells it a little bit differently. I think obviously on one level, uh, the writing is suggesting that the Jimmy McGill way to do this is to try to talk his way out of trouble by changing the details a little bit, not changing the heart of the story, but adding some details like, Oh, your cousins were very nice. Oh yeah. Then I did this. Uh, Oh, I just, trying to embellish slightly to hope that by embellishing slightly, the thing will change. Lalo eventually cuts to the point and says, there are bullet holes in your car. Right. Uh, what do you think? And it sounds like Jimmy's about to crack. He has previously said, you want the money? If you want the money back, it's in a bag in the other room. You can have it. What we know also is what else is in the bag in the other room is the coffee cup with the bullet holes in it. Kim knows this as well. Correct. So because Kim knows this as well, I think at that point, what she's standing up and doing is saying, uh, I'm not going to get us killed. Like, I'm going to stand up and say, no, no money, no bag. You get out of my house, Lalo. Like, you get your own house in order. I think her intervention there is to, is to protect their necks. Uh, I don't think it's uh, to basically th- that she is... I think she is in that moment displaying the ingenuity uh, that is needed uh, to actually be uh, a friend of the cartel, uh, to actually be the kind of person who can work this here. What I want to know from you is, oh God! by the end of that episode, you're talking about the look between Jimmy and uh, Kim as like, I'm out. My question for you is, Lalo leaves. We don't know what his agenda is. He's going to go to a different place in Mexico. Whatever the conversation that he had with Kim, uh, when Kim really gives him that come to Jesus talk, the same talk she's given Kevin Wachtel, uh, the same talk to an extent that she's given Rich Schweikert. Uh, we see this come to Jesus talk from Kim to Lalo. It has some effect. Uh, is Lalo impressed by this or does he see her as a threat? Uh, where do you think Lalo is vis-a-vis Kim at the end of this episode? And where do you think Kim is vis-a-vis Lalo? It sounds to me like you're saying that she might have looked at Jimmy and saying, that's the last straw. I right. think she might be going further down the rabbit hole here. Oh, God, I hate that. Um, but what you put in my head, Antonio, and I, I don't know how you get there. Uh, so if you can string theory this out for me, if you can get like all of the and get the blackboard up, um, we're, Carol! we're trying to figure out, Carol! we're trying to figure out why Kim isn't on Breaking Bad. Uh, is it because Breaking Bad just didn't show us any more of Jimmy McGill other than the Saul Goodman veneer? And she's not associated with that. Um, is it that simple and like she's still in his life, but we just don't see her? Uh, is it worse? Is it death? Uh, is it worse? Did she get disbarred and she wants nothing to do with Jimmy? Is it worse? She went with the vacuum cleaner, you know, and, and uh, got Ed Galbraith out of town uh, and is going to pop up in a future gene scene. Hashtag no gene scene. Um, <laughs> or and this was just one that had never even occurred to me until you talked about how this is Kim showing the ingenuity of what it would be like to be a friend of the cartel. Is there a world where Kim becomes a cartel lawyer? Or is she running? Yeah. Or is she running Saul Goodman? Like, is she basically the boss of the boss? Right. And I say that because the, 
the shell company that uh, Jimmy uses uh, as Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad is called Ice Station Zebra Associates. Uh, it is has been seen throughout the, break, the Better Call Saul universe as a nod to Kim Wexler and as a nod to his relationship with Kim. Uh, that was a reference to one of her father's favorite movies, uh, a reference that is mentioned in Better Call Saul. And it is something that when she and Jimmy run a scam on one of the the marks uh, that they meet at the hotel, maybe the tequila bottle mark himself, um, they have the, him make out the check to iStation Zebra Associates. So it, the question is, is there a through line not just in name only or not just in some kind of loving connection to Kim, but she's the one who brings up to Lalo at the end of the scene. Have you never heard of shell companies? Right, have right. you never heard of the Cayman Islands? Right. Considering the fact that she mentioned shell companies, we have the shell company that is named in reference to her and as a thing that she is, that it, that she is connected to. And considering how she calls Lalo fully out on the carpet there. And I don't think, by the way, that anything she said, other than the fact that Saul Goodman doesn't lie, I don't think anything she said was untoward or undeserving. Uh, I feel like Lalo, there's a possibility Lalo walks away from that conversation saying, you know, Goodman's fine. He's good at what he does, but she's the, I know. The, she wears that's, the pants in this relationship. Crazy. Yeah. I just had never really considered that as a possibility. Um, that could be what he's walking away from it with. I, I don't get this. I, I get the sense that a lot of people literally, Lalo literally dodged a bullet and maybe Jimmy and Kim did as well. Um, by Kim doing what she does and getting Lalo out of the room. I think Lalo leaves and Jimmy and, and Kim are not really thoughts to him anymore. I'm sure that he will reverberate in their brains for a good deal longer. Oh, yes. And uh, I am, I'm, you know, I would not be surprised if they remain factors in his thought making, uh, you know, his decision making. Um, but I... I don't think that they are the most pressing thing. Like when he says to Nacho, we're going back to, to Mexico, um, but they're not going back to, to where they just were. They're going somewhere else that I think like he's got something else in mind. Um, he knows that like something fishy is going on and he wants to regroup whether or not that's because he specifically wants to like dig into Jimmy and Kim more. That just doesn't feel right to me as far as his next step. It doesn't to me either. It just, what made that enter into my head a little bit was wondering like how in response to what he just experienced in that room, how does he know to change his plan and what does he change it to? And of course, part of my thinking in that regard is, does he change it to something that is terrible for the people that we care about for, for Jimmy and Kim? Like, does his pivot here mean that those two are going to be even more in danger than they just were? Like he walks out of that room and saying, she's trouble. Like she has her head on straight and he's troubled because he's weak, but he's good enough to lie to me and he's dogged enough to drag seven million across the desert. And by the way, there were bullet holes and I know neither she nor he are what pulled him out of that desert with those bullet holes. So he's working with someone else. And if he's working with someone else and I can't trust him either, like I have to watch my back and they're part of what I have to watch. And that, so that's the biggest concern. But my secondary concern or my secondary wonder is like, maybe he walks out of there thinking, man, she just read me uh, straight to filth. Like she knows like all the worst things about me. And she called me out right on the carpet and she had the guts to do it. That's the kind of person I need on my side. These are my lawyers. This is my legal team. That tends to be the reaction that people get from, that's like, tends to be the reaction to Kim. Yes. Uh, Like when Kim. Wexler and Spradlin. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But like when Kim, uh, when Kim dresses people down, like often people are like uh, either like, you know, they're shaking in their boots afterwards or they're like impressed and they want more of that. Right. 
So you could you could see that being uh, I don't know take a lot to get Lalo shaking in his boots. Um, great boots though they may be. Uh, but I think for him to be impressed by her, uh, yeah, I could see him walking away from that interaction, being like, "I like her." Yeah, I mean, he already sort of was right, even yeah. though I think he had the upper hand against her when she came to the jail uh, to try to get the information from him. And they have that great shot, of course, of him standing behind her slightly out of focus while he's stretching out, looking like a serial killer. I mean, literally like some Hannibal Lecter shit, like looming over her shoulder uh, and the look on Ray Seahorn's face just petrified. Uh, she really played that well. Like, OK, she was ready to come in here and she bucked up and got herself prepared to have this conversation with this killer. Uh, but she was scared by the end of it. But this time she says, let's face it, everybody knows you killed that guy. Like she is not intimidated in that moment at all. Jimmy is stammering and he's about to give up the shop and she is ready to step up and shut it down uh, and provides, I think, in the moment very quickly, a very plausible explanation. By the way, uh, Kim able to sweep that up almost instantaneously. Mike, uh, Victor, Ty, no one on that end was able to sweep it up without an instant. Like they had time to clear that car away and they didn't like yeah. that's a major fumble, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, unless it's like, how did they get back there? Uh, do they not know exactly where that was anymore? Like the reason why Mike was able to track that before was because he was literally tracking Jimmy. They don't have that anymore. They don't have uh, the ability to go back to that exact spot, do they? No, I mean, I don't. It was on the road. So because it was on the road, I feel like that's how Lala was able to track it. But down. the risk of like having somebody like going around there. Uh, but well, they did have the flatbread, the flat, the flatbread. Yeah, they, they oh, took the a bunch of bodies delicious. and other cars uh, away. The flatbread flat they had was, yeah. was very, very good. Yeah, yeah. It's like a season's 52 level. Flat uh, bread. It was really, really good. But they, yeah. they did bring the flatbed out. They say like all the cars are gone. Right. Uh, so they just left Jimmy's there too. Yeah, that does seem like a big oversight. Well, and it was the other part of, and I'm, this is this is certainly not let, let's nitpick better call Saul. But I was thinking about it when we were back in the desert uh, this time because what we have is we have a lot of watchers watching. We have a lot of people. Uh, we see scenes of Gus's men uh, at various times uh, following Nacho around. Mike just seems to know that Lalo is on his way uh, to Jimmy and Kim's. Uh, so there are eyes on these people constantly, right? Uh, and it made me wonder like how in god's name what what happened like how did mike know exactly to get on that ridge at that time how did he get into position so quickly uh and be able to draw a bead on those people in the middle of the desert where there's literally very little cover like i i don't understand how he was up on that hill we didn't talk about it last episode because we were just so in awe of the way it was constructed but just looking back on it now with lalo and nacho in that desert and nacho and lalo having a sort of sixth sense himself saying right, oh right. lawyer said his car broke down um, we just went through that entire area. I didn't see a car. Where was it? Like, shouldn't I have seen it by now? So I, I do think it's interesting um, that that Mike is able to just draw a beat on Lalo constantly. Uh, I don't know when the man sleeps, but he is seemingly on high alert uh, watching Lalo's every move. And I say this because I want to transition slightly. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about more about Kim and Jimmy for sure. But I want to transition slightly and ask you, like, so Lalo says he's going to Mexico. He changes his plan slightly. He was always going to go to Mexico, but he's going to go to a deeper Mexico, whatever that is. I think it's different than New Mexico. Um, yeah, my deeper question, Mexico. We don't talk about deeper Mexico. We don't talk about deeper Mexico. Yeah. So that's what we talk about. Um, we're not. Nothing happened there. Deep, nothing um, happened in deep state Mexico. <laughs> Please don't say deep state. You're going to trigger me. Um, speaking of triggers, the the situation with Lalo, there's some plan in play. We talked last week a lot 
about who could have set up Lalo uh, to have that money stolen. Like, who would have had a beat on that? We found yeah, out this it's your week. your boy, Juan Bolsa. It's my boy, Juan Bolsa. <laughs> So my boy Juan Bolsa, golf simulating his way through a cartel life, uh, just just living the good life, La Vida Loca, or the crazy life, uh, and he's just hanging down there, and Gus knows right away. When Mike says these guys were hired out, probably Colombian, uh, Gus is like, I know who it was, and he calls him up immediately, and Juan Bolsa all but says, like, oh, yeah, that's too bad that Lalo is coming south here. I guess that means your problems are going to stop now. It, does it seem to you, is your read on that, that Juan Bolsa tried to intercept the bail money because he wanted Lalo to stay in jail because he wanted everything between Gus and Lalo to stop and this was an easy way to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. That tracks, right? I, th- I think that that's a pretty tidy explanation um, that he could sell to Don Eladio if Don Eladio, we know that he loved Hector Salamanca at the very least, so like is he probably a big Lalo guy? I would expect that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, so to, to like kind of like cleanly get him out of the picture, just take that money out, uh, bailing him out isn't an option, we don't have to go nuclear yet and like get him killed in prison. That's going to cause a lot of problems. Um, this seems like a fairly reasonable, bloodless way, at least in terms of uh, you know major players on the board. What's one dead lawyer, right? Uh, right. So uh, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense that that's how. And he likes working with Gus. That will ultimately be uh, to his detriment. In in again to spoil Breaking Bad, uh, it won't work out well for Juan Bolsa there. Um, (laughs) you know, because of his continued working relationship with Gus. Um, But for now, he sees Gus as like the rational guy to work with and the the actual profiteer. Well, yeah. And I mean, yeah, Gus, Gus earns. Gus is an earner. Like Gus is really generating that revenue. And that's sort of what Juan Bolsa says is, okay, well, chicken money. He's the chicken man and the chicken man makes it sizzle, baby. Like he says, I guess now that, you know, your problem's gone, you're fine. You're going to be okay. But it seemed like Juan Bolsa did not want Lalo on the board. I, I'm wondering, do you think that's what Lalo has sniffed out? Like, who would want to take me off the board? If it wasn't the chicken man, if he, if he wasn't coming at me and he wasn't involved in this, like, I would imagine that Lalo would probably think, okay, if somebody tried to steal my money, it was probably the chicken man. Yeah. But did the chicken man know where my money was coming from and when? Like, does he have eyes there or was it more likely it was someone associated with the cartel? Right. Um, does he does he know for sure it's not Gus? Is he still thinking about Gus as a possibility there? That's what I'm wondering. Like, I because I, I I'm when you when you're getting back to like when we get back to where is Lalo headed and what his plan would be. I think it's at least possible that he's considering that it's someone other than Gus. Um, but I he, he has to figure what happened was okay. Someone tried to get this money from McGill. Uh, they shot at him. He got away. Did he get away with someone's help? I don't know. Who could have gotten the money from him? And who would have tried to get the money from him and not my cousins? Like, I, I don't know. He's probably, that's where the works are in his head. And he may, what he may be doing is he may be saying we're going further south because he may want to lay it all out to, to, he may want to lay it all out to Juan Bolsa. He may right. want to say, can I kill the chicken man? Look, right. somebody tried to t- steal my money. Like, I've had all these problems with him. Can't I just take him off the board? The chicken man is like front and center in his brain. He goes and sees Hector Salamanca probably the last time that he will ever visit with his uncle. And he says, like, we're going to find ways to take the chicken man down. Don't you worry about that. Everything that's his will be ours. And we, yeah. of course, know that that's not true. Um, but it, it seems like he has not lost sight of that. So he may be going to the cartel to appeal and say, can I take this guy off the board? I'm sick of this. Right. So that and may I, be what the play is. And and we've been talking the last uh, little while about um, envisioning the scenario where Lalo doesn't make it out of Better Call Saul. 
and that when Jimmy's shaking in his boots in Breaking Bad in his first episode in Better Call Saul, uh, and he talks about uh, Lalo and Ignacio, um, that he doesn't know that Lalo is gone, um, the deck is set for that right now, right? Like, it makes a lot of sense for for us to be going into a finale next week where where you can imagine that Lalo just scared the shit, big bad wolfed his way through Jimmy and Kim's apartment, left, leaves them reeling. I'm sure we're going to deal with like the, the huge psychological fallout of that will be a big piece of the finale. Um, how that shakes out for their relationship, I expect uh, to be a huge piece of the finale. Um, and you can imagine the scenario then where uh, they're terrified of Lalo forever, even if they never see him again. And it's just enough that the specter of Lalo looms large after something like that. And Lalo is going south to make that pitch to Don Eladio or Juan Bolsa or both. Uh, and in the process, just like eats a bullet sandwich instead. Um, yeah. So that could be that could make a lot of sense. Like if he goes down there and Juan Bolsa is there and he's making the pitch to Don Eladio and Juan Bolsa about uh, choose me. It's me or the chicken man. Well, of those four people that we're talking about, three of them make it to Breaking Bad for sure. Right. <laughs> One of them does not. So, yeah. It's, uh, you're right about that. And it, like we were just saying, like the chicken man's an earner. And we already know from this season of Better Call Saul that Juan Bolsa, while he seems to like Lalo, uh, knows that Lalo's a bit of a liability. Um, the travel wire murder alone. Do you want to go for the low hanging fruit? Do yeah. You see it? Do you see it? Yeah, go for it. Lalobility. Lalobility. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sounds, to, like a, sounds like a musical genre. Sorry um, to interrupt your intelligent thought. Continue. <laughs> it really does sound like a musical genre. Lalobility. Yeah, yeah. um, this is, but no, this is, this is something Wampolis is already considering. Like, even though he seems to like the guy, the travel wire murder alone, the very thing the $7 million bail was for, is something that Juan Balsa has already sort of said to Lalo, like, hey, like, we don't do things that way on this side of the border. And I think part of Gus's strategy, because Gus clearly has one with Lalo, is some kind of rope-a-dope. It's like, you know what? We'll help him get out of jail. Like, we'll let him burn our place. We'll burn it down for him. Uh, we'll let our dealers get arrested. Like, we'll make it clear that he's really screwing with us so that we are just quietly taking the punches. We're not responding. We can't be seen to be responding, is what he tells Mike. But my question is, like, what is Gus's ultimate plan? That's what I was saying last week when I said it was possible that Gus was involved with the money being stolen. He has some plan. And the plan wasn't simply, I'm going to get Lalo in jail and then, whoops, I'm going to have to change my plan and get him bailed out. Like, he was okay with getting him bailed out. And it seems like his plan is to throw him at the mercy of Don Eladio and Juan Bolsa. Is that what it is? Well... If that was what the plan was, it there has been uh, there's there's you know you got a little fly in my ointment, right? Like by the fact that one uh, uh, in in my biz we call this scooping. You got scooped, right? Like yeah. uh, you know basically one one Bolsa beat him to the punch uh, that he decided to make a move. And no surprise that the 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 the, the volume with which Lalo uh, you know you know makes his announcements to the world. <laughs> Uh, that he's going to draw the attention of a couple of people who would like to turn that dial down. Um, that Gus Fring's plan for however he was going to counteract Lalo is now aligned with Juan Bolsa for sure. Like they both clearly want a similar thing. Um, but it, it based on the interaction between Gus and and Juan Bolsa and and by proxy uh, of Gus Mike and Juan Bolsa being in that equation, um, it seems like. 
they were not, you know, in cahoots on this thing. So whatever it is that Gus was initially planning for Lalo, if he had a plan, I think now we'll just get it theoretically and anecdotally, right? Like whatever it was he was planning is now significantly railroaded. Ah, that's interesting. I feel like it's still in play. Like that's where I'm, but that's the problem that I'm having is but this Gus is a brings- pretty, this is a, I mean, I guess not because, uh, he does get bailed out. And if that's what he wanted, he wanted, he wanted him to just get bailed out. So like the thing that he wanted to have happen has still happened. Um, right. That's that's the thing is I, Gus Fring is smarter than I am at, at this point, especially with regard to murder plans and what he <laughs> what he has been dealing with all season long is the Lalo the Lalo problem, right? The Lalo conundrum. Like, what do we do about this guy? He hates me. He's coming after our business. He's a lot more aggravated and aggressive than some of these other people who just wanted to take the money off the table right in front of me or push me a little bit or have problems with our deliveries. Like, this is a guy right. who is significantly putting my business in jeopardy diming my people out i'm losing millions of dollars of course he's gonna do something about it here's what happened uh so right now on post show recaps we have uh some some special edition final fantasy 7 remake coverage happening here on the podcast japanese role-playing game remake of a classic it's fantastic i've spent many sleepless nights playing it and i've beaten it already hit me up in my instagram dms if you want to talk spoilers uh there's another game in the final fantasy series called final fantasy 8 antonio and in final fantasy it's called 8, final fantasy 8 antonio it's called final fantasy 8 antonio and in final, yeah. and in final fantasy 8 antonio as in all the other final fantasies that are not named antonio uh you get like summons like you can summon uh you know creatures to join your battle to to fight your bad guys and fight your fights with you in, in battle and typically since the word summon uh, indicates it you're summoning them you're making the active choice to bring them to your side of the battle but in final fantasy 8 antonio um the odin summon who is a recurring summon character throughout the franchise uh he he trans uh he he's played differently in this game um where rather than summoning odin what will happen is you're in the middle of a battle and obviously in the battle your goal is to destroy the bad guy and at the start of your battle without you choosing to do anything odin just shows up and he just rolls through the battle and apparently his goal that is completely um, uncoordinated with yours and you have no control over, he also wants to decimate the bad guy. But he just is choosing his own timing and he's choosing his own method. So Gus Fring is the player, us, in yeah. Final Fantasy VIII Antonio, and Juan Bolsa is Odin charging through the battle and he wants the bad guys dead as well. I, I believe it's, it. it's the same mission accomplished. You know, da 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 da. Lala's out of jail. Lala's getting handled. We both want the same thing. Ultimately, we're fighting for the same team. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm wondering if by getting the events set in motion. Uh, to get Lalo put in jail and then putting him, having him put in a position where all he can do is skip bail. So he has to go back to Mexico. If Gus isn't basically saying, I'm going to serve you Lalo Salamanca on a silver platter. And then Odin, if you want to take him out, go for it. This is Final Fantasy VIII Antonio. You're certainly in your bounds of doing that. Like, this is a thing that you do in this game. Uh, so you take him out. Little do you know, Odin, that even though it's different in this game, I actually summoned you. Yeah. Like, even though Final Fantasy VIII Antonio let me, let me says... Just, uh, pluck this little low-hanging fruit. Odin Kirk. Odin Kirk, yes. <laughs> That's a Star Trek crossover. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, this I think is a thing. I think Gus's plan was to make Lalo Salamanca a liability and to let to let himself get beaten up to show uh, that this is bad for business overall, right? Because that's what Lalo wanted to do. Lalo wanted to say the chicken man's bad for business and we got to get rid of him. That was Lalo's plan. And Gus realized that was his plan and said, they like their money. So I'm going to make it clear that Lalo is the one that's bad for business, that Lalo is the bigger liability. How do I do that? I'm going to put him on the hook for that travel wire thing. Then I'm going to get him bailed out and make it so that he is in Mexico and that the heat is on him and he can't come back here. At that point, I know we don't do things a certain way on this side of the border. Maybe we can do them differently on the other side of the border. What he says to Mike in this episode is, after he gets back, our actions must be unimpeachable. Basically saying, like, I can't be seen to have come at this guy, but I'm going to come at him. I'm going to make sure that he gets taken off the board. Nobody can know it was from me, though. Like nobody can. So he's trying to guide with his hand the goal that he wants. He's got, he's getting people to do what he wants them to do. I think that Juan Bolsa is not just intervening uh, with his own goal. I think the goal that he's having has been incepted into him by Gus Fring. At least that's what I want to read it as. Because the other way to read it is Gus wanted Lalo to be in jail and then pivoted because why Lalo decided to have Nacho burn down uh, LPH. Like I just don't see that as as likely. Gus has a plan we're going to see in this final episode what the execution of that plan is i don't think there's any reason not to make gus out to be this monster if you're going to have anybody take lalo off the board that's who you have do it you don't have Juan bolsa do it you have yeah, Juan bolsa yeah, yeah. if you have Juan bolsa do it it's because of fring um that's your big bad that's the guy that you want to spend the time building up so I just feel like we're still going to see exactly what that plan is. And I don't know what the final act on it is, but it does involve uh, Lalo being in Mexico. What about what wither Ignacio in all this, Josh? Um, just along uh, for the ride. Unfortunately, poor guy. Yeah. Are we in a position where Ignacio comes off the board in, do you think in this next episode, we've been talking about it forever. Have we reached a point where that is most likely, or is that still less likely now? I, I still think he has to be fearsome in a way that uh, Jimmy is concerned for Ignacio in Breaking Bat, right? And like he's he has not hit that level for me. So the fact that he's going down to to Mexico and if he is with Lalo and we're also saying like Lalo could be dead as soon as next week if he goes to Don Eladio and says like, hey, him or me, and he gets, you know, his ticket punched. Do we just like kind of like what's like the continuity explanation? Do we care about that? How much do we care about that? If Ignacio gets burned as well as a part of this? Um, I don't know. It's it's a little murky for me with with Nacho right now. Um, I would be pretty disappointed to lose him soon. I think that he should. Uh, there's there feels like there's a lot more life in the character and a lot more story potential there for me. What do you make of the conversation between Gus and Mike where Mike actually makes the pitch? Like Nacho Varga, he's done what he said. Like, can we get him out now? And and of course, we talk about Gus has the dog metaphor, which is not great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what what do you make of that whole conversation? Is Mike going to go to bat for Nacho anymore? Or did he lose this uh, battle, and thus the war is over, and Nacho's just kind of screwed at this point? Yeah, I think it it makes sense to me for Mike to lose the Nacho battle. Uh, that Gus will get to consume the nacho and uh, and Mike is is left with some lesser snack. Um, and that lesser snack is Jesse Pinkman, for example, uh, because we will see Mike have kind of an investment in Jesse in a way that like maybe that is born somewhat out of like him feeling like he didn't get to stand up enough for nacho, uh, that he didn't get to go to bat enough for nacho. Something bad happens to nacho 
this is a good argument, I think, for Nacho getting uh, getting got relatively soon. Yeah. Um, that Mike wanted to pull Nacho out. They did not pull Nacho out. Nacho gets pulled in deeper. Nacho gets killed. Uh, and Mike feels awful about that and like has has it out with Gus in some, I don't know if he's going to have it out with Gus again. But if there is like some level of you can assign some of that like residual leftover nacho regret onto his relationship. <laughs> I've had that, by the way, in the we past. We all have had that. Uh, <laughs> that, that you, the leftover nacho regret. That, yeah. you put, that you take, you scoop some of that molten hot cheese and you place it on the Pinkman plate. Uh, and that that explains partly at least some of the the energy that Mike has towards Jesse in Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah. That here's another young man who has gotten in the game for sure. Um, but like, I don't want to see this kid like throw his whole life away for this. And especially if he's like seen it happen before. Well, it's fascinating because you're right about that. And I think there is that connective tissue there. And I think it's it, it's not even DNA that uh, that you have to dig deep. It's not like that ancestral, like uh, generational, like uh, the DNA where they have to find your relative and track you down that way. Um, this is a direct hit because Gus in this scene and Mike talk about whether fear is an effective motivator. And throughout Breaking Bad, of course, even though, especially with like, episodes like box cutter um, fear is an incredibly effective motivator for Gus Fring. He repeatedly talks about how he doesn't believe fear to be an effective motivator. This is a thing that Gus says throughout breaking bad a lot. Uh, and the fact that he doesn't say that, that is not his default uh, to have fear being an effective motivator. Uh, and he straight up has that quote. I don't believe fear to be an effective motivator. And yet he talks about Nacho uh, being a dog that needs to be disciplined or put down. Uh, that's that is specifically talking about using fear as a motivator um the fear of papa and the problems there when mike is saying you have a gun to his head i you know i think there's a chance at least and i don't know i haven't given thought about how this plays out there's a chance mike wins this by losing right there's a chance somehow that mike is right that they should have pulled nacho out uh and that gus is the one who changes his tune on whether fear is an effective motivator or not interesting interesting because I think I, I remember watching Breaking Bad uh, and talking about it, podcasting with Rob Sesternino here uh, and podcasting about that final season. Uh, I was thinking about we didn't get a chance to talk a ton about Gus Fring, but his specter sort of hung over uh, the whole series, specifically how Walter White became molded into this sort of kingpin character uh, after Gus was taken off the board. Spoiler alert. And now I'm doing it. Uh, and it's that leftover. It's that residual nacho guilt that I have um, at that point what i think is that i thought about who gus fring was uh and his tactics and whether walt was employing all of them or some of them and it always seemed to me like a lot of what we knew about gus from breaking bad was that he behaved the way he behaved because of max uh, because we saw that flashback we found out what made him tick to that extent and that maybe fear wasn't an effective motivator because that's what had been used on him at the poolside with Max. Uh, that's why he was working ultimately uh, with the cartel the way he was and with Don Eladio throughout. It was because he was afraid uh, yeah. because of everything that had happened with Max. And so he didn't like it in his own life. Well, Better Call Saul's a prequel, and the Gus Fring we see here clearly does not buy into that ethos the way the Gus Fring of Breaking Bad does. So what changes between the Gus we know now and the Gus we meet in Breaking Bad? It isn't something to do with Max. Maybe it's something to do with Nacho or something to do with this situation because Nacho's the one in the crosshairs. I also thought it was interesting. Did you, there's a scene after Gus and Mike are talking about this 
where we see Nacho calling Gus's, uh, Gus's guy, Tyrus, I think, uh, it might have been Victor. And he wants Nacho is basically saying like, Hey, once Lalo, uh, is put down, uh, that means it's over, right? Uh, and Tyrus, I think, or it might be Victor says to, uh, Nacho, like, that's none of your business and hangs up on it. I don't know why that scene was there. Like, we already know that Nacho was kind of screwed. It was just there so that he would know that he was screwed, that he would know that he was under the thumb. I'm just confused as to what his role is in all this. If he's going to pull a fast one, if he feels like he can't get out anyway, he's not getting the answers he wants to get on Lalo, so he's going to pivot. I... I still think there might be uh, a move to be played there, and it might be a move that backfires on Gus. Um, one thing um, that uh, occurred to me as you were as you were talking through those those character dynamics and those possibilities for for motivating future character actions, although they are technically past character actions because it happened on a show that has already aired, uh, is with with Kim reading Lalo for filth in this episode. Uh, can you imagine a scenario where? Where Mike, who has been told earlier on this very season, in fact, I would pick your next words very carefully uh, and basically just says, I quit. I quit. I quit, Mr. Fring. Uh, And he walks away. He doesn't like give him like the big monologue. Um, Is there something that like can happen to Nacho? And then Mike points at that and is like, if you're not like going to hear me and if you're not going to see that, like, you know, like it, like point to Papa's grieving process, for example, uh, like what it is you're fighting for uh, is not good enough. If these are like the kinds of ramifications that are happening. Yes. Could, could something, uh, yes. Could something like that be resonant yes. for Gus? Yeah, I think so, because it you have to keep in mind when he says in Breaking Bad, when Gus says, I don't believe fear to be an effective motivator. Uh, and he's articulating the opposite point here in Better Call Saul. The person who is saying to him, I don't believe fear to be an effective motivator is Mike. Yeah. It's Mike. So Gus picks that up from Mike, I would I would uh, think. And what you just said resonated with me because when you talk about if if Nacho is 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 killed uh, and he's caught up in the crossfire somehow or he gets exposed and Lalo takes him out or whatever it is. And it's Papa's grief that is in play here. Boy, there's no one who's going to understand the grief of Papa better than Mike, right? Yeah, like yeah. the grieving father who loses his son. That's yep. something that's really going to work with him. And now Mike already did walk away from Gus. He's done it a couple of times, really. Uh, but this season we saw what that looks like. Uh, and this time it's a Mike who has remembered that he doesn't have to remember. Like he has learned that he has been able to articulate. I'm better now. Like he knows that he doesn't have to let that get him down. He has put in his brain, uh, some way for, of him to be able to compartmentalize everything that he's been involved in. And Gus maybe helped him with that a little bit. He took him away. He took him to that villa. He took him and put him in a position where he had to get better. Um, and maybe he hit his bottom there, but the mic that walks away from Gus, if that were to happen now is not a mic that's bottomed out and that's going to need Gus for uh, and once that revenge is executed, if you will, once Lalo Salamanca is taken off the board, once a, a, a move is made against the Salamancas, uh, where's Mike's motivating factor to yeah. continue to work for Gus at that point? Yeah. When revenge was the word that brought him back in, if revenge is executed, especially if it's executed with Nacho and the crosshairs, you, you got to think that Mike might walk away. Now, that said, the Mike of this episode is also the Mike who articulates to Jimmy this monologue that I do want to get into a little bit more here, uh, where Mike talks about the bad choice road. Uh, and he does it in a much more eloquent way than Jimmy <laughs> does, doesn't There's he? There's a road! <laughs> 
and one of them is good and one of the roads is bad. You're on the bad road. <laughs> so funny. Now, yeah, for a man uh, in Jimmy McGill whose bloviation usually knows no bounds, he is really finding himself uh, at odds with something uh, to articulate here. Uh, and Mike, a guy not known uh, for his ability to talk, does a much better job of explaining this. And Mike, of course, has been talking about they're in the game. Like, they were in the game. It's fine. They're in the game. So certainly Nacho Varga is in the game. Mike has said that to Nacho. So I do wonder, even though Mike is trying to get him out, how big is Mike's sympathy going to be considering what we know about Mike's belief in roads and bad choices and good choices? Yeah. It's a good question, man. I don't know. Um, I I think... I, I think we, we've talked about how... Gus saying revenge and now Mike being like fully team Fring again. Um, like something's missing. There's a piece of it that's just not fully there. And, you know, we got a really compelling speech from Mike in last week's episode. And that was really good. And I and I really liked that. But I still feel like I don't feel like the argument is done, you know, or however you want to phrase that. Like, I don't feel like. I don't feel like Mike and his perspective and the agency that he brings to the equation with Gus, that doesn't feel satisfied to me. And so I think that Gus needs to probably like win in the big scheme of, of better call Saul, at least like in terms of like this portion of the timeline, um, but lose in a way that is less about like his, you know, mustache twirly plans and more about, um, wow, I've really lost myself in this to a certain degree. Um, And Mike needs to be able to point that out to him in some way. Uh, And that doesn't, you know, Mike's not a man of many words, so it doesn't have to be a big, long speech, even though the big, long Jonathan Banks speeches are great. Uh, You know, the, 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 the no more half measures is iconic. And what we got last week was really good. And you can imagine a really good one with him, like telling Gus something personal from his own life that, you know, lodges deeply within Gus Fring. Um, But it could be as simple as, uh, Nacho dying and Gus seeing the ramifications of that and Mike giving him a look that's, you know, all but says, I told you, I told yeah. you. And and Gus, like, having to stare in the mirror and see that, like, uh, metaphorical charred half face staring back at him. Uh, you know, that becomes literalized in uh, see- the season four finale of Breaking Bad when half of his face blows off. Um, that actually happens. Spoiler alert. Um, but in in the Better Call Saul context, looking at himself for who he is becoming, who he's become, what tactics are working, what tactics are not working, what tactics are working, but are they worth pursuing? Obviously, everything with uh, Werner Ziegler was not impactful enough for Gus to like back down from his methods. Um, but could something really terrible happen that like blows back on Papa and, you know, gets Mike to like articulate it in a way um, that gets Gus to like, kind of like come back down to earth to some extent, not enough that he's not going to, you know, out of like blind rage, try to uh, inject poison into Hector Salamanca and get blown up in the process. But like enough that will get him to, to calm his tactics for at least a little while. Yeah. It, I, there's something you're right. Like we, we, there is something here. And I thought with Mike's speech, um, the, the bad choice road, I, I thought really that he was encapsulating a lot of what, 
that you could say about almost all these characters. You could say it about Kim Wexler for sure. And the second time I watched the episode, it really resonated with me that if you took Mike's speech and applied it to Kim in the articulate way that Mike gave it, not in the way that Jimmy tried to give it, um, there are reasons to to actually think about the iStation Zebra Associates of it all. But it isn't just Kim. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago how hilarious it would be um, if when Jimmy was talking about how he had a client, uh, when he mentions this to Kim, that wanted him to be a friend to the cartel, if Kim said, like, how did you ever get this client to begin with? And Jimmy's like, well, long story. Uh, it involves some guys on some skateboards. It involves <laughs> your yeah. friends, the Kettleman's. Yeah. Uh, it involves a guy who was in a van. It involves me using the sex robot voice uh, in a paper towel holder. Uh, all those things that you're familiar with because you were on season one. Um, yeah, it involves all those things. All those things are the little choices that Mike talks about in his Bad Choice Road speech. Uh, when he says, like, we all make our choices. Those choices put us on a road. Sometimes those choices seem small, but they uh, put you on the road. And you think about getting off, but eventually you're back on it. Uh, nothing can be done about that. That's Mike's short version of his speech. Uh, and Nacho has made those choices. Everybody in the show, Mike, Jimmy, all of them, Kim, but Gus Fring has certainly made those choices as well. Lalo is making those choices and everybody is on the road. They're in the game and they can try to get off the road. Uh, Mike can try to get off the road. We know by Breaking Bad, he's back on the road, right? Right. And my concern, of course, is that Kim can try to get off the road. Kim is making these choices. She's making some big choices in this episode, uh, Josh. I thought it was hilarious uh, when I rewatched the episode. Uh, do, do you remember what Jimmy and Kim said uh, the morning when Jimmy wakes up and puts his feet in the ice bath? No. Uh, and they're going to sit there and watch TV all day long. Do you remember the exchange between no, the two of them? No, give it to me. <laughs> Keep in mind, this is the same day uh, that Kim quits Mesa Verde. Uh, or that's, she quits Schweikert and Coakley, puts Mesa Verde behind her, uh, and then comes home and the monster is in the house uh the boogeyman shows up uh kim says you know i really need a day without some drama <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's what she says and the thing is she makes some little choices and she's made some choices in the past so even though she wants to get off the road like even though she needs a day without some drama um this is what can happen by the way we saw last episode what happens when you get off the road and it's not great no uh, it's you, bad <laughs> yeah. stay on the road yeah you stay end up on back the on the road, road anyway uh, um, it's, it's interesting because yeah she she says that and then she goes on to to quit schweikert and coakley uh yeah. she's she's done with mesa verde uh she's like very very calm about it like there's just sort of like this serenity about her of like just like yeah this is right this is correct it's time to go it's time to leave she's choosing you know to go about it calmly but it's a dramatic life-altering choice so for you know beginning the day craving no drama uh you know forget lalo salamanca you you blew up your day you blew yeah. up your life in a single day uh and yeah. that was without the cartel um, yep. so uh, big day for Kim Wexler on, on the ripping it down on the bad choice road. It's, uh, and it's just, it's, it's a big day for her. And the thing is she can, she says that she could really use a day without drama, but first of all, she lives with Jimmy Miguel. So good luck. But second of all, I'm not sure that that's really what she needs. We talked last week, uh, or maybe it was two weeks ago, when you get into her upbringing and you see the drama that was inherent in her upbringing, and she's talked about it in the past with Mr. Acker this season. Um, sometimes people in that scenario, they don't actually not crave the drama. The drama is all they know. 
the the drama is their routine. The drama is sadly and unfortunately um, where they find some uh, measure of familiarity and comfort, and that's why they have a lot of problems. Um, they they seek to recreate it. They see they seek it out. Whether they mean it, they, they do it consciously or subconsciously. Uh, people repeat and seek to repeat these patterns of behavior because it is in the patterns that they find comfort. So it is possible that Kim can say all she wants that I don't want drama. But then when you know, keep in mind she says that. Then the next thing that they talk about is she says, Jimmy, I know you're lying. Uh, I'm here for you. You can tell me. No judgment. This isn't about our deal. I just know that you're not telling me the truth. <laughs> and Jimmy's half truth that he tells her, of course, at that point is I drank my own pee. Um, but <laughs> I love that that's the detail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I drank my own pee. Yeah. Uh, just like the, the, like the sun caked Jimmy McGill. Uh, oh just, yeah, the makeup in this episode. Off there. How about Mike? Like, oh my gosh, the, the sun caked Mike Irving. He Trout. needs to part ways the with the sun. Of, the two of them with Jonathan their Banks. with their uh, their their damn Jules and Vince Vega looks uh, yeah. at the end of Pulp Fiction. There, <laughs> yes, just looking like dog shit. Uh, yeah. It's so funny with their like teal uh, t shirts. Uh, there's a there was a great photo I saw floating around. I wonder if maybe you had uh, even retweeted it, uh, but I saw somebody posting it. Uh, a photo from uh, the costume uh, department on Better Call Saul. It's just Jonathan Banks like flipping off the camera while he's wearing uh, the the <laughs> like the the big yellow t shirt uh, that he gets at the uh, the gas station. Uh, <laughs> they just looked amazing. They looked incredible. Absolutely incredible. They love giving Jonathan Banks shit on the official Better Call Saul podcast, the producer's podcast. And uh, it just sounds like there's a lot of fun that, that is had at Jonathan Banks' expense. I believe it. But his response to things generates a lot of laughter among people. So His reputation, I think, is like, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll really, like, much like Mike Irvin Trout, very thorough. Like, is that really necessary? Like, you know, like really like going down the line on a point. Of like, are you really going to make me do that? If so, can you please like really articulate why? Uh, fair enough. They ask him to do a lot here in the in the Better Call Saul. Well, and some of the best actors uh, certainly are people that really put that level of thought and work into their craft. Uh, there's, I think there are stories that uh, Richard Schiff, uh, you know, Emmy Award winning actor from The West Wing, and uh, he will tell you uh, that that he you know he can be tough to work with, but he 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 I've I've heard him say like it's because I really care. Like I, and I'm not saying actors who don't uh, put off that same vibe don't care. Uh, I'm just saying like, this is, uh, I think probably a mark of why Jonathan Banks' process works the way it does for him uh, because he puts a lot of time and effort and care and, and into it. Uh, and well, it's the same it, with you and me. Like we're very oh, well sure. known in our, in I'm our a circles method podcaster. very yeah. difficult to podcast with. Uh, yeah. so, and it's because we care. Yeah, exactly. You, I, I make people read like six books before each podcast if they're not you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that sounds like something you would do. Like that sounds like <laughs> something like someone would think like Antonio does that he doesn't actually do. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't even read them. I've been I reading I've the Bosch read a book books. before. You haven't made me read anything. <laughs> uh, I'm going to recommend you start with the Bible, Josh. Yeah. Oh God. Ooh, yeah. Yikes. A lot of good no. stories in there. No, thanks. Um, no, thanks. Speaking of a lot of good stories, uh, this the the situation with with Kim, I. What is the motivating factor, do you think, in why she leaves Mesa Verde? Is it the stories of her pro bono clients? Is she, she looks at the photo, and it is that photo at the same time that she's dictating yet another inane letter uh, about nothing, about a six-foot extension of some bullshit Mesa Verde bank 
whatever, uh, that she seems to formulate the plan that I got to get out of this place and I got to do it right now. But is that the reason? Because later in the episode, she talks about the clarity that she gained when she thought Jimmy was dead. So what do you think is the mo- the real motivating factor for why now? Why did this happen right now that Kim walked away? I- and I'm speaking, by the way, on behalf of Rich Schweikert, her boss, played wonderfully by Dennis Boutsikaris. We love Dennis. Uh, and I hope it's not the last time we see him. I, I It is true trust that they put in an actor when they let that scene uh, between uh, Ray Seahorn uh, and Dennis Boutsikaris play out the way they did, uh, almost silently, right? We only saw through reaction what was happening, and we knew from the way that scene was played exactly what was going down. My question is why? Like, why in that moment was, was what happened what happened? Life is short, and I think that's got to already be brimming on her mind in the last year or so of her life, given everything that happened to Chuck, given like the very, uh, you know, given the lives that they led in the aftermath of that. Uh, haven't even really talked about, you know, just some of the, you're talking about that, that choice to present that scene of Kim tendering her resignation silently, uh, that we just watch it. Like you just, you can, uh, you can grok what's happening. Like you can just kind of like, you can feel what, what just occurred. Um, there's some great filmic choices in this episode. Uh, the montage at the start, right? Oh uh, yeah. We didn't even talk about something stupid. That was wonderful. You know, and like tie, tying that back to, to uh, last season uh, and just showing how the two of them are going about their days differently. She's, you know, you know, she's rinsing her mouth out as she's brushing her teeth. He's gargling piss. <laughs> Let me jump in there because I think there is there's a parallel that occurred to me in the something stupid montage that occurred last season uh, where we, we talked about it. Uh, it's one of my favorite. I think it might be my favorite Better Call Saul montage. Yeah. Um, and it's a time jump. It's in a, what it shows more than anything is the two of them growing apart. Um, we see them slowly going out in and out of frames of each other's. Um, we see them at different times of their days, eating their dinners apart, not together. Uh, we see the bed and the line drawn very clearly down the middle. And yeah, there's a little bit of overlap, but that's what that is meant to communicate in my mind is that over time, these two are growing apart. Uh, and if you listen to the song and you listen to the lyrics of the song, classic song, uh, they, they specifically wanted that song uh, and they commissioned it. They had a specific artist that they targeted and said, can you perform this? We want to see if we can use it. One of those was Lola Marsh, uh, the band Lola Marsh, uh, who they then had do a, another version, uh, Lola Marsh do another version for this episode. And it seems like uh, tying this back together with what we were just talking about, it seems like maybe what has happened is the idea idea, at least in Jimmy's head, when he's wandering throughout that desert is, all I care about is Kim. I got to get back to Kim. They're coming closer together, uh, even though they're separated. And it's the something stupid montage that was about them growing apart before. This is showing they're coming closer together. And it is this moment, perhaps, where Kim is like, I really don't want him to be dead. And the fact that she thought he might be dead is what told her, like you just said, life's short. Go out and change your life. I don't think it's any coincidence that she pivots when she's leaving Schweikert and Coakley and goes back and gets that tequila lid, uh, because that is, I think, her talisman uh, for what reminds her of the fun that she and Jimmy had together and that side of her that brought them together in the way that it did um, the first night we ever saw them spend on the show together uh, I don't know if that was their first night together or not I don't think that's ever been made abundantly clear uh, but it seems to me like at the beginning of this episode Jimmy actually being absent brought them closer together it was bringing them closer together uh, that made Kim realize I'm out of this Mesa Verde life and it does it is Josh what makes me wonder if she's going to buy in more to the criminal lawyer side of Saul Goodman more yeah that's crazy though. Oh, it's a bad choice road. 
<laughs> that's the thing, right? That's the monologue. You you might be thinking that you're making these choices, but you're always going to end up back on the road. Uh, once she put herself on the road uh, to to be with Jimmy McGill, and she really uh, put her uh, ball in his court, if you will, uh, and she and she pushed her chips behind him. She staked him in terms of what he was doing. She made she got on the road. She's in the game now, as Mike would say. And once she's in that game, and she's on that road, she can make choices, and she can think she's getting away. Like she can think leaving Schweikert and Coakley and going and working for her pro bono clients is in pursuit of good. But in reality, she's still the person who takes that tequila lid yeah. out of that out of that office. She's still the person that did this because of Jimmy McGill. And uh, it, it's fascinating to me that the part Jimmy McGill makes me very angry throughout this episode. But the part he makes me angriest is when Kim tells him that she quit Schweikert and Coakley. And Jimmy's like, well, that's uh, pro bono means for free. So you're not going to make any money. What's your plan? Like, motherfucker, pardon my French. <laughs> you just brought home 100K for your bullshit. That's yeah. like enough for the, the two of you for the year at least. Yeah. So why don't you slow your roll a little bit here? And maybe Kim will continue working <laughs> for her pro bono clients yeah. because we know she robs Peter to pay Paul. So maybe we she will continue working for her pro bono clients as she's running Ice Station Zebra. Wait, she, ro- she robs Peter Gould to pay Aaron Paul? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yes. Yep. You figured it out. You cracked the code. Uh, you cracked uh, the code. But I mean, it's it is it is kind of in some ways, uh, it's it turnabout is fair play, and and even though it's not Kim who gets to like put Jimmy back in his place, it's more the universe, right? The universe, man. Uh, where Jimmy is coming at Kim so hard, and it's like you hypocrite. You just like. You're still lying, even though she has given you every reason in the world to like tell her like the full stuff. And oh you're, no, shit! And you know, and you're still lying. You're still telling. Like she said, like she just you know she knows something else happened in the desert. Like she's given you every excuse, man. And you're choosing to still be this guy, and you're judging her career choices. Uh, and now you're inviting the monster into the house, and this is when Lalo shows up, right? Like so. Uh, it, it, it is, it is. And then she's the one who drives him out, uh, you know, really paying, uh, paying off that, uh, you don't save me. I save me. Uh, she's the one who gets them out yeah. of the jam. Yeah. Um, Good call. you know, I, th- I think that that's, I think that that's great. I, I think that that, that works really well for me in terms of, uh, everything that we're coming to, to understand about this, uh, relationship between them. I think, uh, Jimmy, doing everything that he can to like be self-important and transform himself and be the king of his universe. Um, but when the consequences of that really come home, he's not going to be able to like stare. Uh, he can't stare Lalo down and it's Kim who's going to be the one who's able to untangle all of that. I don't know. There's a lot there. Just the scene construction of that final scene of the episode. I haven't felt that tense in a very long time. Just watching something. It was just really, really masterfully done. Great character work. Uh, great, uh, just great cinematic choices. Having like the specter of of Mike uh, being in the room, that Mike could be in the room in a flash, <laughs> in a manner of speaking, if he needed to be. You know, like it was just all of the set pieces on all of that, um, really expertly crafted. Uh, a really great, uh, a really great sequence in uh, in in Better Call Saul history. Uh, really across both of the shows, uh, this ending here really kind of knocked my socks off just well, one and it, sock and I wore the other one. It stands to reason um, that it would be with the DNA, the cross DNA uh, because uh, the writer director of this episode 
uh, is Thomas Schnauz. Uh, Thomas has directed uh, a couple of episodes of Better Call Saul in the past. He also directed uh, the Say My Name episode of Breaking Bad, uh, but he worked as a producer on Breaking Bad, and he's been involved in the DNA of that show extensively and has been uh, involved in the DNA of Better Call Saul throughout as well. I believe... I'm not sure, but I believe he has directed an episode in every season of Better Call Saul, uh, or at least most, if he hasn't gotten every season, he was on the uh, producer's podcast this week. He's always really funny. He's speaking of irascible. He's just, he just says whatever the hell he feels like, and he doesn't have much of a filter. So, uh, he's always entertaining to listen to on that podcast. He did not direct in season four. I know they were, they were, they had talked about it on the podcast in the past, uh, and I couldn't remember. Uh, but yeah, he, it makes sense that the DNA would be there, uh, because because this is a guy who understands these shows really, really well. Uh, and I just, all this, all this cross-pollination, all the people that are involved in Better Call Saul working, uh, having worked on Breaking Bad and having been involved on Breaking Bad uh, throughout the course of the show, it just does make me wonder what Kim Wexler's role in Breaking Bad could be and what a season six of Better Call Saul could be if we, if we want to jump into that timeline. Like if we, if we want to do like they did with the scene with Jimmy and Francesca, uh, where we had some of that, um, I would say there has to be a break at some point, even if Kim Wexler is involved with iStation Zebra, even if, uh, we are seeing in this episode, the possibility, uh, because of the depth of the writing and because of how good everything, uh, is, is brought to stage by the actors, um, the possibility that Kim could be involved in this. Uh, I think that there is clearly a break at some point when Gene goes to Omaha, Gene is alone, uh, and and so there, he is not with Kim Wexler throughout all of Breaking Bad, I wouldn't say. Uh, and I still think it's most likely that that's the call he places uh, when he's going to take care of it himself. Instead of the vacuum cleaner salesman, he's going to call Kim Wexler and he's going to help, gonna have her get him out of this trouble. But the break is coming, I think. The question is, will it happen in the Better Call Saul timeline, which I think we have been anticipating, um, the possibility of her being the first person to be disappeared and so on. Um, I think it's possible that, that the break could have occurred sometime in the Breaking Bad timeline. And a season six of Better Call Saul that spends time in that timeline might actually let us see that play out. Yeah, uh, well, we're, TBD, run, TBD. we're running right up to it, right? We're running you right know, up to where it. We got, we got one hour on the clock here on Better Call Saul and a lot to tidy up, um, you know, before we get into the final season. I, I don't think, I don't know if we know for sure what the episode length is for the final season, if it's following in the, the Breaking Bad mold of splitting a final season up into two smaller seasons, um, or if it's going to stick to the tried and true 10 episodes a year that Better Call Saul has unfurled thus far. Um, we don't know, but we are, you know, theoretically staring down the barrel of, and I know barrels are triggering in this universe, uh, of 11 episodes left. That's... That's a lot of time, and yet not a lot of time with the way in which this show moves through plot, uh, that cares less about plot and more about character. Um, but there is a lot of plot to accomplish still. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really intrigued about next week because this back portion of the season has been pretty momentous. Uh, you know, like things have been moving with 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 such a, a velocity uh, that it's been kind of breathtaking and, and really intense on a weekly basis in a way that Breaking Bad often was, but Better Call Saul is not normally on the regular, like dependably intense in this way in these circumstances. You know what I mean? Like it's it's usually intense on like sort of uh, on on other, on other character levels, not not on this level. Um, what's going to get accomplished in this finale? 
what kind of tone is that going to set for the final season of the show? What is going to be resolved here and what's going to be left on the board to be resolved next year? Like if we, if we resolve the Lalo thing this coming week, the way that you and I, I think expect, um, where does that leave the Mike and Gus story to go in the final season? Um, lots of, lots of these types of questions that I'm, I'm really curious to look at the finale next week as a bit of a compass towards what to expect from the final season. Same. And you know that I have been uh, saying that what I would like to see and what I hope we will see uh, and what I think we will see is a scene uh, involving Gene in the finale, that we're going to break the format a little bit, that we're going to do what some of the best TV shows have done in the past, uh, which is in a season finale, change the format. One of the things I will say is that there's been at least one death in every season finale of Better Call Saul, sometimes major characters um, like Werner or Chuck, uh, sometimes minor characters like truck drivers or uh, Marco, um, people that were major to uh, certain people in the show, but maybe not major in the context of the entire show. Uh, but there's been a character death in, in every one of the finale episodes. Um, I am guessing they're not going to break the form on that, but you're right, with as many episodes as they have left, and actually um, season six. 13 episodes not 10 okay uh so so more length uh more opportunity to i think tell stories in that breaking bad timeline if you want to get there more more opportunity to tell stories in the gene timeline if you want to get there uh and you you don't want to do just two scenes with gene you don't want to do just a beginning and an ending um a way to split up the season seven and six if they want to do that we have no idea how the world will be when better call Saul returns keeping in mind i think it was 18 months or so uh between the end of the last season and the beginning of this one uh so who knows um i've seen you're you talking about our world now because yeah, exactly yeah. i am yeah. talking about our yeah. world yeah, yeah. yeah. we're on the bad choice road right now brother <laughs> oh no <laughs> we've all made a lot Yo. of small choices and they're coming yeah. chickens yeah. are coming there's home to good, roost there's the good road or yeah. the bad road yeah. you're on the bad one <laughs> we are on the bad one my friend yeah. but we're bad, on it together yeah we're in the bad choice road is the new we're in the bad place yes <laughs> um we had a feedback email that i know we wanted to read um do you have it up or i think i can pull it up um uh, let me see this is uh this is from milad uh i have it um milad okay, says cool. hi guys the end of this episode reminded me of the end of wexler v goodman and that we are once again left wondering what kim will do next I think that Kim is fully committed to the criminal lawyer lifestyle by this point. Kim knows that Jimmy is not being straight with her about what happened in the desert, but rather than push directly for full disclosure, she decides to take action to clear her plate and show him that she is willing and able to follow him down this road. Leaving Schweikert and Coakley and Mesa Verde is the first step of that plan. The second presents itself in a moment of necessity when Lalo decides to pay Shay Wexler McGill a visit. It is clear to her that Lalo is not buying Jimmy's story, and when she finds out why, she takes action to rationalize errant facts, build up Jimmy's alibi and character, and undermine the judge and executioner's own position. She must be feeling strong terror, anger, and betrayal when all this is going down, but she does what she always does, and pushes those pesky emotions out of the way, at least until the danger is out of their immediate presence. That she continues to be so effective and commands such respect, despite the emotional depth charges lying underneath, is how she got this far in life. It is not a good long-term strategy, but it's the best she's got and makes her an admirable short-term tactician. Of course, it's also possible that Kim comes to her senses and leaves Jimmy, which would set up a final season of Jean searching for some closure with Kim. But given that she just agreed to marry the guy, odds are that she's down to ride till the end. Hashtag 2004 Bonnie and Clyde. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
This is the bad choice road, right? Yeah. Like this is her making these choices small in the moment. I'm just going to push that aside. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to really stick my neck out here, but all those little choices that she's made, um, they push her in this direction that she's headed. I, I just, I feel like, and I think this email encapsulated, I, f- I feel like I'm more likely than ever to accept that Kim Wexler isn't taken off the board, uh, that she is in control of the board at some point. And that's, uh, I think, perhaps a more terrifying uh, proposition than the former proposition. Uh, and uh, credit to all involved, I think, for putting that as a possible scenario here, whether it was even really intended or not. They, that's where I'm at with it, for sure. I don't know where you are. Yeah, uh I don't know, man. Are you, I just, it feels like you're, it feels like, what's the worst possible outcome for Kim Wexler at this point? Is it that she, is it that she dies or that she lives See, in like, that way? Something happened in the last hour or so, Antonio. And, and you incepted me with the idea of Kim becoming a cartel lawyer. And I hate that. Not in terms of like I the, like the, it's unearned by the story. Unfortunately, I think it could be earned by the story. That's the thing, right? And I hate that. And I hate <laughs> that for her. And I hate it. And like, I'm having a hard time thinking about Kim's future. Uh, this episode was very effective in. And again, like I, I do think it is important that like these are Kim's choices and she's making bad choices and she's making the choices to stay with Jimmy. But I can, you know, in the same way that like, uh, Jesse Pinkman makes bad choices and sticks with it on breaking bad. And I still love that character and I still want better for him. It's exactly how I feel for Kim Wexler. Uh, and largely because of just a remarkable performance. Um, and right now it's hard for me to see a lot of options where with, now we're talking about 14 episodes remaining on the board because of the 13 in the final season, at least theoretically for now. Um, it's hard for her. It's hard for me to imagine her making that healthy choice to walk away from Jimmy anytime soon. Maybe it's yeah. still, maybe it's uh, still to come at some point further down the road, but we're still talking about the bad choice road at that point. You know, it, there's just too much drama in the Jimmy and Kim relationship and just enough time on the clock that she's probably not going to make a very good decision about this until a lot later. And one thing that has occurred to me over the course of this past hour of conversation is, Oh God, what if this really is Kim's breaking bad story? Yeah. (laughs) We thought we were getting the story of how Jimmy McGill breaks bad and becomes Saul Goodman. But what we're really getting and what it became was the story of how it happened to Kim Wexler. Um, that's that's fascinating possibility. That's it's a fascinating on the table in a way that like it wasn't before you and I hopped on. So if I sound like a little far away and distressed about the whole thing, it's because I don't want that to happen, man. But I'm this, a fe- but I'm afeard of it. The bad choice road uh, convo made me feel some type of way. Like it made me feel like. What are, what are, who is this speech really for? Uh, because just thinking about like Kim saying, I don't want drama today. And then all the drama that happened that day. Uh, she also, uh, she said, I I won't see Lalo again. (laughs) Like that's what she says to Jimmy early in the episode when Jimmy's like, you don't see Lalo. 
I see Lalo. You're not in the game. Kim's like, in the game? Uh, and clearly, Kim is better at dealing with Lalo than Jimmy is. She's better. She's better suited for this. And when we know what Jimmy McGill does uh, in as Saul Goodman, one of the things that, that we always saw Saul Goodman doing uh, was we saw him uh, being sort of low-end, right? Like, his reputation wasn't like, I'm this, like, king shit, kick-ass cartel lawyer. Um, his reputation was, he's the guy you hire when you're guilty, like he's a criminal lawyer. And his his uh, lobby, his waiting area was filled with a lot of personal injury type clients. Um, it was always portrayed as very low end stuff, that he was a sleaze, that he was not like this king heavy hitter, the guy who's like buying vineyards that has like all the money in the world from the cartel, the $100,000 a year cartel lawyer guy. That wasn't Saul Goodman. But could it be Kim Wexler? I yeah. think it's at least possible. Yeah, like the... What, who's the Mesa Verde of the of this world that she's yeah. representing? You know, does she become a yeah, magical she already worked lawyer, for a cartel, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she worked for a walktel, and now yeah. she's going to work for a cartel. Yeah. Because uh, just, just to add a little bit of uh, something to this, um, Mike was listening. Mike heard that whole conversation. Mike heard Kim shoot Lalo right out that damn door. Mike watched as she stepped in front of him. She literally stepped into his crosshairs. Oh, and there's so much bait, by the way. She's playing with oranges the whole episode. She's stepping into the crosshairs. Thomas Schnauz on the producer's podcast said, oh, yeah, this was like, I guess it's not schmuck bait if you're baiting like film nerds, but it's like nerd bait. So like they were clearly like baiting the audience who would be hip to that sort it's of thing. It's very effective because yeah. I'm very concerned about it the entire time I'm watching watching that scene to the point that I'm not watching the scene. I'm listening to it. Yeah. You know, like I can't look. So it, it is a, uh Mike hears that he he if if he hears anybody in that room standing up to Lalo, uh, it is not Saul Goodman that he hears. Uh, it is not Saul Goodman that makes Lalo walk out of that place. It is not Saul Goodman that allows Mike to drop his gun. Uh, it's Kim Wexler. Mike hears that, and Mike happens to know a guy. So uh, it's it's always it's always clear from Breaking Bad that. That Jimmy does not know who Gus Fring is and does not really know Mike's connection. All he knows is that he has one. But maybe Kim does know. Uh, and that's something I think that we should be we should be tracking more. Of course, um, when Kim is unfortunately killed in some sort of explosion next uh, episode, <laughs> all no. of this will be moot. Uh, God, but for no, now, it is a no. very interesting possibility. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad we sat down to talk about it. What else do we miss that you wanted to hit before we uh, wrap up here? Well, let, me look at a, let me look at the synopsis of the episode again real quick. See if there's just, anything. Just looking at my notes yeah. while you while you do that. Um I had that in my notes for sure, uh, that Mike was listening, uh, and that Kim said, I, I won't see Lalo again. Um, it's interesting when Jimmy tells Kim to go in the other room and find the mug, the bullet mug, and she looks through it, just like Lalo looks through the bullet hole of the car. Um, she's looking at it, and Jimmy's like, Did you, do you see it? And she says, yes. And Jimmy says, that's what it's all about. Uh, and as he's saying, that's what it's all about, she's looking at the bullet holes, the lie, all of that chicanery. So what it's really all about is not just the money. It's about the fear. It's about the violence. Uh, it's about the lies. It's about all those things. And she knows that she's going in with eyes open. She is not, she's being lied to, but she knows she's being lied to. So she knows who she's dealing with. This is, she's, this is not a surprise to Kim Wexler, any of this stuff. Yeah. So there is one thing that we did not talk about that. I think we absolutely do need to talk about. And then I think we're probably good. Uh, we got to talk about Bill. Oh, we didn't talk about Bill Oakley. How do we forget? <laughs> yeah, Deputy District Attorney forget? Bill Oakley. Uh, How did we forget? And him finally just like trolling hard on <laughs> uh, Jimmy. 
uh, and just like relentless, uh, relentless yeah. assault. I thought the uh, scene was over, and then he pops up in the window of the door. Uh, yeah, like here's, this is, here's if Billy. This is, if this is like Street Fighter, you're playing against a guy who's commanding E Honda and just doing the thousand arm slap <laughs> from the start of the fight, like before it even says go. That's the kind of asshole you'd ever want to play against. But he knows that he may never get another shot again yeah. at Jimmy. Uh, he's so more he of just, a Chun Li kicking, I think, because you can hear him making the yeah 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 noise. Like he's really just digging it in. He loves uh, it. Yeah, this is great. This is, you're going to have to change your name again. Again. Uh, yeah, really, really funny. Uh, I'm so glad. And when Jimmy's uh, like alone and like taking yeah. a moment to be like so physically like in pain, like in pain from all of yeah. this. And then we just pan to like the window <laughs> and the door and he's still there. Yeah, I was watching. I texted you a screenshot of that because it oh, was so, so incredible great. to me. I loved great. it so much. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so a legitimate belly laugh from me. Yeah, uh, huge guffaws. Big time. Yeah, yeah for really sure. just great stuff. One of my favorite moments from the season. This season's been great. I love this season so much. Uh, this is, I think that they've, uh, they do all the things that they do really well anyway, uh, and they're doing them, uh, at, at, uh, at, in peak form. Um, we're really gonna have Rob. We're gonna have so Rob Sesternino, uh, who I podcasted with uh, Better Call or about Better Call Saul with uh, for all the seasons. Before. We're gonna have him on uh, before we wrap up our podcast about this season of Better Call Saul. I am curious to ask him, but I'm also curious to ask you. Do you think? And I'm not trying to toot my own horn in any way. I'm just curious from a process perspective. Do you think you've enjoyed the season more because you're podcasting about it? Because you're thinking about it on a deeper level in that way. Um, I don't. I don't know. I. I you know, listen, I, I love talking through this stuff. So as long as I have somebody in my life to talk through Better Call Saul with on this level, I think I'd be good. So even if it was just you and I shooting the shit and you're still doing the podcast with Rob and you and I are not getting together and doing this weekly, I know that you and I are friends and we're going to be having deep conversations about this stuff no matter what. Um, but I do find that I derive a certain amount of enjoyment when... We are throw. This is like this is some like sausage making stuff. Uh, you can throw it on your nachos if you want later. Uh, is like I I do find like when we're thrown into that space that we seem to occupy when you and I are on a podcast together, Antonio, uh, where we go about an hour to an hour thirty somewhere in that range of you're locking down and you're going into the room and you're chewing on a story for that length of time. Um, I often find that I walk away from whatever it is we're talking about with a deeper relationship to the thing, whether or not uh, that's for better or for worse. It's (laughs) It's for worse this week, you know, but it's, it's often um, it's much more often been for better than for worse. You know, let's not talk about Strigoi, Strigoi. but like the, the examples of like shows that we've gotten to sink our teeth into in this way uh, that we've both like formed like a special relationship with, uh, far vastly outnumbers the the shows that we haven't. Um, so I I think it's not that I it's not that I w- was not loving Better Call Saul anyway. Breaking Bad's one of my favorite shows of all time, and I love Better Call Saul. Uh, and I certainly love it more right now, um, having done a, a rewatch of it and like getting to have like a, a much more like uh, a clo- a closer, more current sense of the scale of the thing right now. I feel like I'm above it. And I can look down on it in a, in a way that like I hadn't been looking down on it before. Um, and I and I do think that there is something about the process that exists within the show itself. Uh, when you're tearing a car apart to find the bug and it's in the cap in the gas canister. Uh, that when you allow yourself to chew on Better Call Saul uh, and no part of the animal goes wasted. 
uh, everything is used. Everything is stripped down for parts and whether it's uh, for consumption or to turn the bow, the bones into a bow and arrow. I don't know what kind of warrior stuff would occur. Uh, <laughs> it's obviously not my field. Um, I think it, it makes for a more satisfying experience. And I'm definitely feeling that this year with Better Call Saul. But I think that's the personal side of it. I think the more universal side is much like Breaking Bad was a ramping up game. So has been this. Uh, right. This is about escalation. It's just the speed is different. The The place you're going is still the same. You're, head, you're on Bad Choice Road. doesn't matter whether you're going 160 miles per hour or you're going the speed limit, which, you know, Better Call Saul tends to abide by more often than, than Breaking Bad, I think. Or maybe the better analogy is the, the, the vessel, the vehicle with which they are driving down. I don't know. Uh, I keep talking about this as a slow motion car wreck. Uh, and I think that that's I think that that's right. But a slow motion car wreck and like somebody like ripping down the highway towards a very, very bad call. You're still driving towards a bad call. Uh, and that is <laughs> and, and we're at the point where just because of time on the clock, we're about to crash into the wall. Uh, and there is something that if you're if you're firing creatively on the right cylinders and you're ready to make the pivots and the choices that need to be made to push you through the top of the toothpaste tube and out into the point of no return. You cross, you cross that Rubicon at the edge of the toothpaste tube. Um, then there's going to be something very like uncomfortably pleasurable about that experience. Uh, and so that is, uh, that is definitely personal in terms of like the lean in aspects, but it's also undoubtedly a, 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 a resounding credit to the creators for um and the creators on all levels not just the peter gould and vince gilligan's of the world blessed though they may be but talking about you know full writer's room uh full uh editor suite uh costume designers uh uh, uh location scouts um obviously cast music choices uh scoring uh all of that um it's it's symphonic when it's at its best and I think that Better Call Saul is in that place right now. And thank God, because it'd be really sad if it wasn't. But we are here in the penultimate hour of the of the penultimate season. And I think it's exactly where it needs to be right now, even if Kim Wexler is not. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, and I don't mean in any way to slight people involved with making the show. If anything, I think it's a credit to them that there are certain shows and we've, we have been lucky enough to talk about some of them by choice. Like we pick them out, but there are certain shows I think that really reward uh, that level of deep dive and reward that level of thinking and that level of commitment. And I think what we're seeing in an episode uh, with Kim, where we spent the entire season, for example, um, lauding uh, the work of Ray Seahorn, um, praising uh, the, just the, the writing uh, and the situations that the character has been in, but being concerned uh, that we're heading down a bad path and, and, and worrying from moment to moment. We're now in an episode in episode nine where, where we can spend, I don't think wasted time uh, really digging into the possibility uh, for this character that she is at, not even at a fork in the road, that she's already too far gone, that she's made those choices. Uh, this is a show I think that rewards that level of thinking. There aren't too many shows like that on, on in history really that, 
that reward the level of thinking on that level. So I was curious because um, you hadn't been doing this with Better Call Saul. Uh, we've talked about the show in the past, uh, but you weren't sitting here with me every week. Uh, we weren't sitting here together every week uh, picking this over. There are shows that I've podcasted about, uh, and I know you have, where we say, yeah, you know what? I think I enjoy the show more if I'm not talking about it uh, because I'm not going to invest the same level of energy in it. Uh, I'm going to just be committed to sitting back and letting it play out in front of me and not really thinking about it. And this is a show I think that rewards that level of commitment. I sense that from the people who listen. Uh, from the people who participate, who tweet at us, who have talked to us about the show offline, uh, not on the podcast. Uh, I think people are really feeling good about Better Call Saul right now. Uh, and I haven't always felt as all in on the show uh, yeah, I know in that. previous seasons. Yeah, so sure. it is uh, It is a testament to a lot of things. Um, time certainly being one of them, uh, having the ability to know where your end date is coming and having a plot and a plan uh, to get there. Uh, but at this point, I have no clue uh, what could come. Uh, there's a lot of things we can talk about. About, and I'm fascinated by all of it. And I think that's a true testament to what they've done with this season of Better Call Saul. Uh, even though there have been some moments where we're like, okay, we, we spent a lot of time uh, finding a bowling ball for what reason, like, uh, and all these things, I, I still think um, we can thread those needles. Um, they will find a way to make Bill Oakley come in uh, and matter uh, and make it not just funny. Uh, but a terrible moment for Jimmy yeah. such that he goes out and reflects to Mike of all people. Um, and we see him in that great moment when he gets out on that street. Uh, I think it's a street we've seen in this show many times before uh, where he meets Mike there. So it may even be the ice cream corner. Just a great show. Uh, just a really, really I think, I think, fantastic show. Yeah, I think I think it's very good that they've kind of earned their way back to Jimmy and Mike being in scenes together. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's a fairly recent development. Um even though they have the the phone call in the quote unquote tunnel earlier in the season, but like <laughs> I think finding a way to get those characters uh, back in each other's orbit in a more meaningful way, and it's hard to imagine deviating from that moving forward. I think that they're back together in some capacity now, uh, as we're as we're crossing through to the finish. Um, you know the the proverbial Walt and Jesse of the series, uh, which is, is obviously not a one to one. Um, but you know, they're, they're the two, uh, leads in, in many ways, certainly the, the, the holdovers from breaking bad that are, that are anchoring so much of this story. Um, but another piece of it too, this year has been like, there has been this like unstable rogue agent in Lalo, uh, who I know, like you guys had a lot of questions. Rob had a lot of questions about the character, like coming out of season four, you know, he's bursting through ceilings and popping back down. Um, but I actually think that these nine episodes of season five that we've gotten to spend with Lalo so far, and at least one more, you would think, unless he just disappears into the night, we don't see him again until the final season, which I guess is not impossible. Uh, though that would be kind of, it would be a choice. Oh, I don't know. We're going to see him. I'm it, pretty confident we're going to see him. I'd be surprised if we didn't. Um, that he's just, he has just brought this energy to the show. Um, he reminds me of uh, like the dangerous, like quote unquote friend. And everyone knows this book. Like uh, Ross or, or Joey? Or? <laughs> I'm talking about uh, Gunther. Uh, <laughs> no, he is the dangerous friend. He is the Fucking full on stalker. <laughs> All right, but go ahead. You know what I mean? Like there's the person that you are connected to in some way, shape, or form, that views you as a friend. You have to, like, see them in, like, social situations. But, wow, that person's dangerous. Uh, the way that they carry themselves is 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 frightening. Uh, and you know if you get too close, that, that is compos that's a combustible situation. You got to be real careful around that person. 
Uh, Lalo has that very wild energy about him where he goes through the show with this zest uh, in life and sort of just like laughing like Daniel Craig Rhodes Perdition style. It's also effing hysterical uh, to some degree, like kind of like a like a jackal, like is like sort of like the animalistic approach to him. Uh, whereas like there is something that's like much more careful and methodical about Gus Fring. And that's scary. But there's something really scary about having a villain like Lalo Salamanca who embodies the tone of Better Call Saul writ large. That sometimes this show is deeply funny and sometimes this show is deeply troubling. Yeah. And Lalo is really wears both of those uh, colors really well. And that he is like sort of like uh, this 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 uh, operator who exists across like he's he's kind of like what Jimmy is describing himself in the episode a couple weeks ago where he's like you don't know the worlds i walk through and all of this like that's lala lala is like the operator in uh the two tones of better call saul and now he is he is crossed over in uh he's the you know at the center of the venn diagram of the show's story um so to to remove that next week is going to be no big thing if that's where we end up going uh no small thing if that's where we end up going um and i i will i will mourn that loss if we're right if we are going to lose Lalo here soon, I I I, I kind of hope we're wrong because I think that the energy he brought this year kind of transformed the show for the better. Yeah, uh, Griftwood Drift at uh, Take underscore Bringer on Twitter tweeted us and said, "I'm predicting Lalo does not die in I the finale." That, I hope that's correct. I hope in, they're right. I I I feel like it's over, but like. I hope, the I hope the, the uh, defense uh, or the reasoning behind Griffwood Drift's uh, take that was brought by take underscore bringer is, in my uh, opinion, the character and Tony Dalton's acting are as good as anything the Breaking, Univer- Breaking Bad universe has done. And I could see the writers realizing the absolute gem they have in the writing and portrayal. And it's fascinating because you brought up how Rob maybe had some misgivings about Lalo. Uh, and when I asked you if you maybe thought part of the reason that you'd enjoyed the season more is because we really spent the time uh, to luxuriate in it and to break it down. I suspect, though I can't confirm and we'll bring Rob on to validate, uh, and this having nothing to do with any of us, I suspect Rob may be enjoying the season more, just letting it play out and watching it and not really spending the time worrying about whether he understands Lala's motivations or any of that. I, I think there are probably people in the audience who are really just letting, uh, wa- enjoying uh, watching, letting things play out. And for those people, uh, they may not want Lalo taken off the board. It's funny. Um, my friend, Matt Coleman, shout out to my friend, uh, Matt, who's a big fan of Better Call Saul. He was uh, watching this episode um, with his wife and he said his wife was screaming at the TV, uh, just shoot him, just shoot him. Like she wanted Mike just to pull the trigger. So there are definitely people in the audience who want Lalo gone. Uh, But Lalo, you're right, occupies that space where he can entertain us and scare us. Great performance, great show. The fact that the show is able to do that itself and that Lalo, in the way that you put it, encapsulates all that. Really good stuff here. Really good stuff. Anything else you want to hit before we wrap up here, Josh? We've gone an hour and a half. Yeah, so we're in in that spot that that we tend to fall. So I think it's time to turn down the lights. Close in time. Oh my gosh. Is that a one hit wonder? Down to bad Joyce Road. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know uh, who I want to take me home, and it's myself. So yeah, I'm going yeah, to do that. Yeah. I'm going to say uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, how can people get at us if they want to send us feedback? We're going to do a full feedback show, right, Josh, yeah, after well, let, the season let, is over? Let, let's just talk that through real quick. You know, we, we kind of casually weave in feedback here and there uh, on the recaps, but we will have a dedicated feedback bonus special after the season. 
Uh, so we've got the finale recap that's going to come up next week. Antonio and I are going to take that down. Uh, and the plan as it stands is Rob will be back for our big feedback show that we'll do uh, sometime uh, shortly after the finale, um, you know, a week or so at most, something like that. Uh, you can send all your feedback in for us. BCS at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. Uh, you can hit us up there. You can hit us up on the Twitters as well at postshowrecaps. At Round Howard, that's me, like Howard Hamlin, but rounder. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. Uh, so several different ways to get in touch with us for uh, both next week's show, uh, but just as importantly, maybe even more importantly, so that we have things to talk about uh, for, for our Season 5 uh, feedback show uh, that we will do the, the week after all of that. And right now, you're in this, uh, the halcyon days, if you will, the beauty times uh, when we we still have, as you like to put it, Josh, the what three and three or four days before the finale of Better Call Saul are the best three or four mm-hmm. days because we yeah. still have not yet experienced it. Uh, we're still in this uh, the gloaming, if you will. So, if you want to get your predictions in uh, about what Gus's plan is, will Lalo survive the season? What will become of Kim, and so on? Uh, go ahead and send those in. If you nail it on the nose, we're definitely going to shout you out. Uh, but I'd be curious to read some of them. I'm curious but not to if you're swear. a jerk about it. If you're like, I told you so <laughs> well listen hopefully they don't do that in the email where they're making the prediction if they do that i'm going to be scared of future man or future woman and say yeah. uh, get out of here you demon uh so i i don't think that will be the case but yeah feel free to send your predictions in uh, if you nail them uh we'll definitely give you credit i'm curious as to what everyone is expecting out of this finale um where people are uh, i'm no longer necessarily feeling like we'll definitely get a gene scene because there is this propulsive nature i still think we will uh but i we're not in a position where i think it's as likely because we have this huge piece on the board in lala that we haven't dealt with and it feels like that's the thing that we're going to do in this finale to me uh and the the idea that you've given me that he could possibly uh not show up or possibly survive it uh are are things that i hadn't considered as likely so i'm curious as to what everyone else thinks definitely hit us up. Uh, we certainly appreciate uh, the feedback that we got this week uh, as every week. Um, shout out to those who help behind the scenes. Josh, you want to give anybody a shout out? Yeah, uh, absolutely. The people that help put this podcast up and together for 100%, us? 100%. Uh, from, from Stevie Zampanti to Alex Rubino, Sam Moore. Uh, we've got a great team that's working to make sure that all these podcasts are coming your way. Uh, and of course, we've got a lot beyond Better Call Saul and Post Show Recaps. Post Show Recaps is bumping these days. Uh, the Killing Eve recap just launched with Jessica Lee and myself talking about killing eve uh i always i always love uh walking dead ending prematurely was really sad for me mostly because it meant jess and i were not going to be talking zombies every week now we're actually talking about a show that is just like objectively really fun and good uh instead of just like we can make walking dead fun uh so really looking forward uh to to spending all season long talking about those characters with jess i thought we had a really good uh start to the podcast this week so check that out we'll have a feed up for that specifically but if you just subscribe to post show recaps generally you'll be able to get our killing eve podcast uh, the season premiere was this past Sunday, uh, so we've got eight weeks of that show to look forward to. Also got Westworld, like Better Call Saul, getting really close to the end of the line. Joe Garfine and I just released our recap of that. We've got our Marvel podcast, Everything is Super, where we're going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's myself and Kevin Mahadeo. We just trucked through the Incredible Hulk uh, this week. That was a time. What a time to be alive. <laughs> 
What a, a time thing. to be alive indeed. It was a the, thing. Killing Eve is a good example of a show that I'm just happy to sit back and enjoy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And Killing Eve is a good example of a show that uh, I have been really, really grateful to like get the chance to lean into more. Uh, Interesting. It's been, it's been it's actually been really fun to like dig into some of those characters uh, on a on a more granular level uh, and where they're all at psychologically. That's that's you know that's my stuff. That's my favorite stuff. So uh, really fun with that. Uh, Lost down the hatch with Mike Bloom still happening. Uh, we're up to fire plus water this week. It's my least favorite episode of the whole show, but I've been having a kind of hard week and I often say that lost meets you where you are. Oh, I haven't no. watched the episode yet. So I wonder if that means I'm going to be extra down on it or if w- will it lift me up in some ways? So which episode's <laughs> coming up? The fire plus water. It's the one where it's a Charlie flashback in season two and he's in a diapers commercial. With oh, the rest that's of the one I was going to, I was going to ask you if uh, it was the drive chef diapers. See, I think I might like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I might have a good time with it Just, this week. Listen, Josh, um, you are everybody, so I think uh, that you probably will find some resonance there. We'll see. We'll see. And, of course, some Final Fantasy coverage. If, uh, if uh, the Final Fantasy ate Antonio uh, conversation uh, <laughs> it's got like a you, weird dinner there got you excited in your in your in your uh, and you're ready to roll with some some more Final Fantasy content we've got you covered uh, with some bonus Final Fantasy podcast coverage coming your way later in the week so post your recap yeah. a lot of stuff happening hell yeah you are a very 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 busy man Josh I'm tired. Man. <laughs> We're podcasting the hell out of this there's quarantine. A, there's a lot going on, and I, and I and I actually have gotten the take, and and I appreciate it because certainly I'm having a hard time ke- uh, keeping up with all my podcasts. But I assume that uh, people are not listening to every single podcast that that's being produced. And what I want is I want people to have options. You you can yep. pick. You can pick off the menu. You can have the the chicken paillard or the chicken <sighs> francis. Or the avocado salad, whatever it is you want. What are you? Can I just movie? have the chicken fingers? You can have those as well. Mozzarella sticks. I've been uh, working the words speaking mozzarella food, sticks into uh, almost every podcast this week. So. Speaking of food, uh, the only thing I'm podcasting about right now, uh, besides this, is Top Chef with you. Yeah. Your lovely wife, Emily Fox, Haley Strong, and Kurt Clark, and Mike Bloom, yeah. uh, with special guests throughout. We're having a really good time doing that. That's over at Reality TV Rehap Ups. But if you can't find that, hit me up. Uh, I'll direct you there. But uh, you, I think of, I just, I know that we talk about the Top Chef podcast, that uh, we all have a good time doing that. Uh, but don't work too hard, man. Don't, don't overwork yourself here. Better I'm Call gonna... Saul's falling off the map here. Oh, no. No, 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 no. We're okay. Good. We're fine. Okay. We're doing, okay. we're doing all right. Okay. Yeah. I played right. a lot of Final Fantasy VII. I beat it in a weekend. Like, obviously, I'm taking care of my mental health, too. Hell yeah. Uh, um, May I recommend I, Stardew Valley? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'm just going to play Final Fantasy VII again. It's probably Hell what's yeah. about to happen. Get better at darts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's going to be impossible. I'm already the Dark King of Midgard. Don't at me. Well, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> work on my, I can work on my squats and my chin-ups, but uh, uh, my dark game is unbeatable. All right, everybody. That's it for the Better Call Saul podcast. I'm calling it. I got to finish my Spanish lessons for today. All right. Bye. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.